So we had our poker game on Friday night. I was the first one out. Uh, my my wife's working at the hospital on Friday night, and uh, Michelle Combs, it was at Sean and Michelle's house, and Michelle Combs texts my wife, in the middle, because she's in this back room in the middle of the game, she's all, I just heard your husband yell, I'm all in. Because about, about, I usually lose about five hands, I get bored, and I just kind of all in, because I'm bored. Uh, I actually won a hand, so we got about ten hands, and I'm like, I'm all in! And then Britt Stanley beat me. with a But, but it was with, with a straight flush, so, you know, it's... It's not bad to lose to a straight flush. I only had a pair of twos. But, I, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I was like the first one out. And Matt Markstone's father-in-law uh, won the entire thing. And he's, I'll tell you, we're all sitting there, we're all having fun, playing the game. And uh, Matt's over there, like, he's at our table when he's dealing. And he's all, guy's all, you don't deal like that. You got to deal like this. And Matt's all, okay. And we're all. Oh my goodness, what do we do? You know, because we're just... Okay. Uh, uh, February 14th, we are starting our next gospel class. The gospel class is a seven-week series. If you want to become a member at Element, uh, we have you go through this class. It's seven weeks, teaches you the basics of what Christianity believes. And we believe that anybody who wants to be a member of a church should probably know what Christianity believes. So uh, you're more than welcome to come to that. At four weeks after the end of the gospel class, we'll do baptisms again. So if you want to be baptized, you can sign up. Uh, in the back. Wait, we don't sign up yet. Probably be there next week. Let's start getting signed up for baptism. Uh, and, uh, baptisms are so much fun here. If you've never been to one, we all get together, we barbecue, we hang out, we throw people in the pool, and we baptize them. Not in that order. No, maybe in that order. I don't know. Uh, and then, oh, and it's, on, like I said, February 14th, so it's on Valentine's Day because we love you so much. I wrote that in my notes because we love you so much. And then lastly, if you took a baby bottle last week, in two weeks, bring those back full of change for uh, CareNet. And I think that's all I got. Okay, why don't you stay on the reading of God's Word, and we will get going. If you're playing softball, there's practice today at 2 o'clock. Rodenberger Park. Come and look for the foul balls. Uh, Psalm 50, verse 1 says this. The Mighty One, God, the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to the place where it sets. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us as your people to be those who realize that you are the one who sets the earth in its course. You set our lives on their ways and we would be those who fully trust you for everything that comes our way even when we do not understand. God, we thank you for being a good God and being so good as to save your people. Amen. Have a seat. So we have just started the book of Ephesians. If you have a Bible, you open to Ephesians chapter 1. Um, I was told last week I was talking really fast. So I'm going to try and slow down Slow down. I try to slow down this week. You're you're welcome. Uh, last week we looked at the issue of praise and verses three to fourteen in chapter one. It's one long sentence. When in the original, there's there's no punctuation there or anything. Paul is just excited and praise God, and he talks about who God is, what God has done, and how praise comes out of that. And I got really excited. I kind of caught on the end of Paul, so I was talking really fast because I was really excited about it. As well, this week we're looking at verses 15 to 23. This was also actually one sentence, and the theme of these verses is prayer. Ephesians 1 covers praise because of who God is, and then prayer for His people. Some people will actually see a contradiction between the first half and the second half of chapter 1. In the first half, it tells you very plainly God rules over human history. He has a plan and works out His plan with His will and that God never fails. So sometimes it looks like it might be foolish to pray because if God's going to do what God's going to do, 
You know, why do we pray about it? Somebody even asked my wife that question after first service last week. Uh, Paul launches right into that because I think Paul understands how it all goes together. God is the ends, but God is also the means of his plan. God will work out everything in accordance with his will. That does not mean that God makes people sin, but that God is bigger than humanity and God is bigger than our sin, and he will bring everything into his will. Uh, he will use people's sin to bring about his glory. And God's intent from verses 13 and 14 in chapter 1 lets you know that he does all this to make a people that are his possession to the praise of his glorious grace. That's God's plan. His means and how he does that a lot of times is he takes his people whom he has saved and he uses those people to reach others. Uh, he will make his entire people by taking those who call themselves Christians and love him. He'll take those people and have them love other people and tell them about Jesus, teach the scriptures, and prayer. But everything ultimately rests in God's hands. We have a lot of freedom, but we have to be careful because if you don't love God, this can turn into some type of really lazy fatalism where we just say, God bats a thousand, I'm going to sit on my couch and play video games and he'll figure it all out. Some people go to the other extreme and they're always worried about everything. I have this guy that I talk to every once in a while. We like to argue about stuff because I'm like that. Uh, and, and, he, and he's like, you know, the, the world has needs. And I'm like, I totally agree. And he says, we need to bring God's love to all people. And I'm like, I totally agree. But this guy feels like he can never go on vacation because if he stops doing what he's doing for a day, the kingdom of God will stop moving forward. And that's not how it works. God is in control. There is tension. We are to be people who live in freedom. God calls us to do certain things. So we do those things. And then we allow God to work out all the rest of the details. You know, we, it doesn't, it's not resting upon you of, of how you say the words just right. You've got to do this thing just right. And if you don't, oh my goodness, everyone's just lost. You go, you do what God tells you to do, and you have great freedom because God will take care of all the rest of the details. That's what God does. We love people, we follow, and we live in this place of freedom. But there is tension because he is in control, but he uses us to work all this out. So we, today we're going to look at prayer. Not every aspect of prayer because you'd be here forever. We're going to look at something very simple, what Paul looks at. So look at verse 15. This is where we start. Paul says, for this reason, that's what we looked at last week. For, so if you missed it, download it and listen to it, then you'll be on the same page. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you and remembering you in my prayers. So first he says, Christians are those who love Jesus and they love each other. It's both. And Paul is excited they believe and he has prayed for them constantly. Paul's, Paul's a very, very busy guy. If you don't know, Paul, Paul's been stoned not because he's been smoking ganja, but, but because he, people throw rocks at him to try and kill him. So he's been stoned. He's been beaten. He's been robbed. He's had bandits lay upon him. He's been bitten by snakes, shipwrecked. He's been uh, lashed with, with lashings, whatever you call it, cat of nine tails, lashings. He has a job as a tent maker, and he writes the Bible. He's a busy guy. But he takes the time out of his life to pray for those he knows and those he doesn't. The church in Ephesus is much like us. They're growing, people coming, people going, some staying, some not, some people frustrated with the preacher and they just take off. But Paul says, I hear you love Jesus and I'm praying for you. How encouraging do you think that is to this church in the middle of this city that everything is going crazy at? And Paul the Apostle writes and says, I love you, I've heard about you, and I'm praying for you. That's very encouraging to these people. Christians should be praying for each other. Scripture says you're to pray for your enemies, you pray for those who are sick, pray for those who are alone, but you also pray for each other. There are people in this room right now who need your prayers. Look around. Go like this. Just look at everybody in the room. 
Get somebody in your mind and actually pray for them this week. We're supposed to be praying for each other. Uh, the, the seat you are in. Someone sat there at a different service. So pray for that person. God, I pray that you help this person not to smell so bad. I, you know, whatever it is. I don't know. But you, know, you, you, you pray for something for Or leave all their garbage in the seat in front of me every, every week. You know, I don't know, something like that. But, but you pray you know, for these other people. We all have issues. We all need prayer. Paul is praying for God's people. So you pray for your church as an entity and for the people because we get to you. It's a privilege. So what should you pray for? Verse 17. This is what Paul prays. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. Then he says this. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. Of all the things that Paul prays for, he prays that God's people would actually know who God is. Now, that's, that's a good prayer. Because there is nothing more important than knowing who God is. I, just, look, I, I want your marriages to be strong. I want your kids to love Jesus. If, if you're a student, I want you to be a great student and do well. I want men who aren't married to, to honor their girlfriends. Uh, if you're a woman in this room, I want you to honor God and honor yourself and not give yourself to every guy that comes along. I want reality TV to disappear. And I want Jesus to be on display in our lives. That's what I want. But most important, I want you to have a right understanding of who God is. That is why we open the scriptures every week. Because if we miss God, it destroys everything that we're living for. Everything in the rest of this letter of Ephesians is about knowing who God is. It is more than just knowledge. It is about devotion. It is about connectedness. It is about taking this knowledge and transforming us into the people God calls us to be, where we have loving affection with God. Paul says right understanding happens through revelation. God revealing himself to us. Philosophy and religion, it's all about man's speculation. You look up in the sky and say, I wonder what God is like. Revelation is God telling us who he is, revealing his plan. He gives us the apostles and he gives us scripture and God speaks into human history. And in case we miss all of that, God comes in the person of Christ to further reveal himself to us. The God who is unknown has made himself known to his people. And Paul says, I pray you wouldn't be lost in speculation, but you would truly see who God is. Because if we don't know who God is, we've missed the entire point of our existence. Revelation and wisdom. Wisdom is taking this knowledge and connecting it to practical life. The scriptures are like that. The Song of Solomon is wisdom about sex, love, and intimacy. Ecclesiastes is wisdom about life. Job is wisdom about suffering. Proverbs is wisdom that springs from the fear of God. You've got to ask yourself, if you know who God is and you say you know God, how does it affect your money? And how does it affect your work ethic? And how does it affect your friendships? And how does it affect your family? Because theology that is not livable is of no practical use whatsoever. If it is not practical, church becomes a place where you go, you punch your clock, oh, I went to church, you go in and out, you do your duty, and you live the rest of your life apart from God. God pursues intimacy with us so we can in wisdom live out all he longs to teach us. The spirit of wisdom, he prays, would open the eyes of our heart so we would know him better. But here is the rub in all this. The problem is not that we don't necessarily know who God is. The problem is we don't like who God is. We don't really like it so much. It's frustrating because we feel like we're the king of the world and we feel like God labors under some myth that he's actually in charge, that, that he gives commands and not decrees. He doesn't take votes. Seriously, what's up with God? He's very troubling. He thinks he's king of kings and lord of lords and it gets frustrating because we have our own little throne and we want to work out a certain way. And Paul says, I want God to tell you who he is and I want you to accept that. 
I want you to understand that. That's a great prayer. You want to pray for somebody? That's what you should pray for. God, reveal yourself to them through the Scriptures so they know who you are. Give them wisdom so when they live their life, they actually look like Christians. It's <laughs> a good prayer. And so this leads... I thought it was funny, but this leads to who, we, who do you pray to? If you go home, and I don't know if Oprah's still on, but if you TiVo a show like Oprah... You should keep a loss, too, because it's so good. But, you know, a show like Oprah, you'll see there's a tremendous amount of prayer out there, but nobody praying to God. Lots of conversations about all the prayers are out there, but no one praying to God. Our culture values spirituality. Oh, I'm a spiritual person. Oh, I'm a spiritual person. But nobody really values God. Spirituality is about us bettering ourselves and trying to get our own glory. It doesn't matter what God you pray to as long as you get what you want. That's how it worked in Ephesus. It's how it works in the United States of America. Sounds vaguely familiar, right? Just be spiritual and, and you're okay. And if, in Ephesus, there were 50 different gods and goddesses. They were very spiritual. They believed in two worlds, a physical world and a spiritual world. And that the spiritual world had influence in the physical world. And if you wanted to fix your physical existence, you would manipulate the spiritual world to get things that you wanted. They believed in good and bad spirits, and they could be manipulated to impact your physical life. So it works like this. I got a little slideshow. You're going to really enjoy this, okay? I promise. Or your money back. Uh, so you imagine there's, there's, there's a girl, okay? We're going to call her Zoe because I ate at Zoe's uh, barbecue, Hawaiian barbecue yesterday. And it's very good if you've ever eaten there. Uh, so, so you got a girl named Zoe. She's in love with a guy named Ziggy. He's, he's, he's white and green, so it's not really like Marley. But, so she's in love with him. Okay? And, but Ziggy, he's in love with somebody. We're going to call her Ashley. So, what's going to happen now is, in this culture, what you would do if you're Zoe is you'd be like, ah, I need to get Ziggy to like me. So then you would find the bad spirits, and you would send bad spirits over to Ashley to give her, like, terrible acne, or you'd, you'd send another bad spirit and give her, like, terrible PMS. Somebody last service goes, that's just too far. <laughs> Whatever. And what you would do is you would pray, and then what you do is she'd send a good spirit over to Ziggy, so that he would fall under the delusion that she's actually attractive. This is how all good teenage soap operas are made. One Tree Hill, I think it's like every episode or something. And what you would do is you would pray for cursing on your enemies and blessing upon yourself. You know that scripture teaches you that you are to, to bless your enemies, that you are to pray for them, for those who persecute you? So, and this what happens now is what if Ashley finds out this is happening to her? Oh, where'd my acne come from? Oh, it's that Zoe. Okay, so all of a sudden she then goes and she sends the evil spirits over to Zoe. And so now Zoe's got evil spirits. She's like, what do I do? So she's going to now find the good spirits that are more powerful than the evil spirits to get rid of the evil spirits. This is actually a form of Wicca that uh, teenagers do today. So you've got to find this hierarchy. Who's more powerful? Find the secret name. Chant the special prayers, the spells, the amulets. They think that the human world rules the universe and we're marionettes and we've got these puppets in the spiritual world. We've got to figure out just how to manipulate them the right way. That's very silly, right? We are way more silly than that. Way more silly because our world believes that there's a spiritual world but there's nothing bad or dark or evil in it. We think it's all, it's all just good. I just, just need to be spiritual. So it doesn't matter who you're praying to as long as you're spiritual. Because there's a physical and a spiritual world, and the spiritual world's all happy. There's no demons. There's just angels. So Paul says in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen that some demons masquerade as angels of light. Is everyone in our world nice and happy, or would some people blow you up with a car bomb if they could? Exactly. Exactly. The same thing in the spiritual world. Not everything spiritual is good. 
What these people in Ephesus and us to do, do today is they take a prayer request. They go, oh, I'm very spiritual and I need something to happen in my life. And so they just chuck it into the spiritual world. Nice catch. So, so imagine what they think. There's something in the spiritual world and they're just hanging out there. They chuck a spirit request. And they're all, oh, and they pick it up. And they're like, what, what is this? Oh, this is from Earth. We got to get that guy some more hair. We got to get that lady a smaller butt. And that's what we think. Everything in the spiritual world is just good. At last service, nobody offered to throw it back at me. I was going to ask you to, but I figured I'd leave it there. But that's what we all think. We think everything in the spiritual world is just good. Not everything in the spiritual world is good and helpful. You know, you don't just pray and it off it goes to go somewhere. It matters who you pray to. Prayer is the language of relationship. In verse 17, Paul tells you who to pray to. He says, the Lord Jesus Christ, that's Jesus the Son, the glorious Father, that's God the Father, may give you the Spirit, that's the Spirit. We believe God is a triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. To the Father, through the Son, by the power of the Spirit. We are to pray to God as the Father because He's given Himself a name and called Himself Father. But what makes that possible is the Son. What brings us in relationship with the Father and the Son is the Spirit. And the Spirit convicts of sin, leads us into truth, pours out love in our hearts. Because God works this way, His kids can have relationship with Him. We don't pull strings in the nether world. Pagan thinking teaches you that God is mean and you've got to manipulate Him. There's a new movie out called Legion. And the whole thing is that God is mean and He's tired of humanity. and he's, oh, we, So people think you've got to manipulate God somehow to be gracious. Scripture teaches you that God is infinitely gracious. There's an awful teaching today by, by many Christians. I like to call this pinata prayer. You just, you flail around, you whatever you say in Jesus' name a whole lot, and eventually you whack God with a stick and tootsie rolls fall from heaven. Oh, isn't that so wonderful? You don't whack God with a stick to make him be nice to you. God is naturally gracious and kind. In the scriptures, it teaches that God the Father is a dad. Romans 8 even says that we don't even know how to pray properly, and the Spirit knows and will bring those requests before our Father. He is a dad who loves his kids and knows our intention. We do not need to try and manipulate him. In Acts chapter 19, I told you guys this, that when these people believed, they actually got rid of all their crazy books and manipulative incantation prayers, and they trusted God. But even today, in most of the Christian bookstores, the fastest-selling books are these crazy rapture books and books that teach you how to pray to get stuff. Oh, pray this for a month. Pray this prayer like this, and you will get these things. And it seems like all Christianity becomes focused on is how do I get stuff, and when can I leave? I'll tell you, that is not the point of God's mission for us on this earth. How do I get stuff and how do I leave? God is not sitting in heaven with a big bowl of candy waiting for you to ask the right way. Oh, you didn't say beseechest thou. You don't get any. That was not what God does. God is a dad who loves his kids. Some people try to manipulate God in other ways. Oh, he didn't answer my prayer. I'll fast. I'll tithe. I'll memorize verses. I'll read the Bible. I'll pretend like I like Aaron's sermons. I'll do, I'll do something I hate so God has to be nice to me and that God will show up. That's paganism. That's paganism. When God shows up, it's not because we manipulate Him, but because He is good. And you read this in Ephesians, it says, In Jesus, that's all the power that prayer needs. That's where Paul goes in verse 19. He says, In, in Jesus, and His incomparably great power for us who believe. Power in prayer comes from Jesus. Well, you don't believe, there's, there's nothing to it because you're not believing. It's like a light bulb. You've got to actually plug it in. The name Jesus is not a chant to get power. The power comes through the relationship with Jesus. You're connected to Christ. The power is in Jesus. It's not even in our prayers. 
It's why we take requests to Him. And you don't pray to saints or totem poles. You pray to Jesus. He says that that power is like the working of His mighty strength, which He exerted in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms, far above our rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. This power that God showed is most clearly demonstrated in the resurrection of Christ. All human history hangs upon is this death, burial, and resurrection of who Jesus is. And Paul says that power is available to believers. We don't need to learn the names of demons and spirits. All we need is the name of Jesus because He is King of kings and Lord of lords and every ruler anywhere sits under His authority. He is our great and exalted King and we don't have to be powerful people. We simply need to know Him. In verse 22, Paul shows the purpose, God's purpose in this. He says, And God placed all things under His feet and appointed Him to be the head over everything for the church. For the church, for His people. We don't need to manipulate God. He already loves us. For the church, which is His body, meaning we are connected to Him, the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. And just as the presence of God filled the temple in the Old Testament is how Jesus intends to fill His church and His people now. And His power is available to those who believe. Jesus sends the Spirit. We are reconciled to God. All we need is Jesus. So that's my preamble. Now I'm going to pull this whole thing together. Okay? If you read this and you hear what I say this morning, you think things like, okay, I should pray. I get it. I hear it. I understand. Jesus knows my heart. He's all-powerful. But then how come my prayers don't work? How come my prayers don't work? It can't be that Jesus lacks power. It can't be that demons are my boss is more powerful than Jesus because for the last two weeks I was just told that he has a name above every other name. So why don't my prayers work? You may wonder that. You know, oh, is God maybe not that powerful? Is he not that loving? Am I maybe not connected with Christ? If you believe in any way that prayer is about manipulating God, you will always believe that your prayers are failing. You know, why didn't this work? I didn't find the right words. I, I didn't do the right thing. Find the magic. Find the secret way. Or maybe think that God doesn't love you so much or isn't that good. Paul echoes Jesus' words throughout the scriptures where he calls God our Father. That means he's a dad. Anybody in here a dad? Any dads in the room? Okay, if you are a dad, can your kid come to you and, and really just ask you for anything? Can your kid ask you for anything? Of course your kid can. Should they do it respectfully? Yes, yes, you know, or you assert the food chain. You know, if they're like, hey, homeboy, then you like go Old Testament on them because <laughs> respectfully, respectfully. Hey, and, 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 that, and that's the deal. It, it, God is like a father. We talk to him respectfully, but if you also are a dad and your kid asks you for something, do you always give your kid everything they ask for? No, that would be crazy. That'd be crazy. A father sometimes says no. Little kids and big kids like us make silly requests all the time because we don't see the end of where God is trying to take us, but God does see it. Oh, I made a request. I am very important. God, where's my stuff? And God's like, you know, I'm a good dad, and the answer is going to be no. And sometimes the answer is no. When I was a kid, I, I wanted to uh, climb down the chimney like Santa Claus. You know what the answer was? No. And that's crazy because a grown man can do it. Why can't I do it? I, want, I wanted a weed whacker because little kids love anything with a motor and a button that can cause death and dismemberment. And what's the answer? No, you don't get a weed whacker. You're two. You can't even pick the dumb thing up. You know, sometimes the answer is yes. A kid comes to you and a kid says, I want to go to bed early. Yes. Whack that pinata all week long. That's a good one. 
Sometimes the answer, though, is later, later. Uh, when I was a kid, I, I thought lawnmowers were really cool. I'm three years old. You get a bubble mower. You don't get the lawnmower. And so one day, I get the lawnmower and the weed whacker, and now I hate them. You know, but, you know, you can be the whacker of the weeds all you want. I'm five years old. My dad would take us to the beach and kind of let us sit on his lap while we drove down the beach. You know, can, can I have a truck? I'm five. No, you don't get a truck. You're five years old. You're going to kill somebody with it. We will make requests to God. Sometimes God says yes, sometimes He says no, sometimes He says later. And we freak out and we say, well, why didn't God answer my prayer? He didn't answer your prayer. The answer was no. <laughs> the answer was no. Well, I don't like that. Welcome to the family of God. <laughs> sometimes God says later. And, and we don't like later because we don't like patience. We live in the nation that invents the drive through and the buffet. We like everything right now. But God says later. And if you come to prayer thinking the point is to get something, you will say, oh, my prayers aren't working. We'll become disappointed with God. And there are all these, again, books in the Christian bookstores about disappointment with God. It's crazy. I had this idea. God didn't do it. He didn't implement it. What's wrong with God? God doesn't fail. Sometimes God says no, and sometimes he says later. So if the point of prayer is not to manipulate God, what is the point of prayer? The very first thing we talked about, to know God better. That is the point of prayer. You know, to know who God is. That is what Paul prays for. We get frustrated when we pray sometimes because the God of our mind is not actually the God of Scripture. And when you get frustrated, that's a great place to be because you're getting a clearer picture of God. <laughs> you're welcome. You know, the first thing we learn about God is that there is one, and the second thing is that we are not Him. If you had a mommy that made you the center of the universe your whole time growing up, this can be a very hard pill to swallow, that you're not the center of the universe. We must learn who God is. And many times we learn when he says no or later. Mark Driscoll writes this. He says, God is viciously committed to building intimacy and relationship with his people. That means that God will not let us use him to glorify ourselves. Prayer is where we should be awestruck about who God is and what he has done. And when God says no, we can pitch a fit or we can simply trust what God is going to do. Jesus taught us to pray this way in Matthew 6.10. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We bring requests to God, but God decides what He's going to do and what He's not going to do. And if we believe in Him, we must trust and that He knows what He's doing, even when our three-pound brain can't get it. Number one, prayer connects us with God. The second thing, prayer connects us with other people. This is why we should all be praying for each other. Even if you can't be with a person and intimately involved, you can still be lifting them up. Scripture says that we are to pray for our enemies with no promise that they will no longer be our enemies. If you are bitter towards someone and you forgive them, is, is there any promise that they're not going to still hate you? No, no. But there is that your heart would begin to change. You, you pray for your enemy and all of a sudden your heart begins to change. And the, what's amazing about this is that God purifies the heart of his people by making us pray for each other. I talk to people all the time who have all these grudges with other people and I'm like, are you praying for them? And they go... No, I'm not going to pray for them. I'm like, you need to pray for them, for good things to come into their life, for God to reveal himself to them. Like, why would I do that? Because it's much easier to hold a grudge than to actually pray for somebody. Because when you start praying for somebody, you want to see God work and move. And you're like, oh, I've got to start wishing good things for them. And your heart starts to change. God says, pray for them, and you trust me. The, the prayer that Jesus offers for those who are killing him, the guy with the hammer who nails him to the cross, the people with the whips who beat him, and the religious leaders who gossip about him and spread lies about him, this is what he says in Luke 23, 34. Father, forgive them. In Luke 23, 46, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He says, forgive them and I trust you. That's what Jesus says. Prayer moves the hand of God, but I think it also changes the heart of his people. Now, Paul writes this letter from prison. 
from prison. Not a good place to be. We get sad because things don't go our way. And we say, you know, God, give me bigger muscles or a smaller butt or a bigger car or, or something like that or a better job. And God says no. We say, oh, I'm so disappointed. I can't believe it. I've lost hope. Paul is a guy. He is in prison and he's praying for other people. I will tell you, if I was in prison, I would tell you, pray for me. You know, the, the floor's hard, the food's bad, my roommate's big and he thinks I'm pretty. You know, so, so pray for me because I'm really going to need it. Paul is in prison. He is in prison. And because he's in prison, he actually has free time to pray and he's happy about that. He is praying for people who are free and doing well because he wants them to know God better. That's what he wants. Paul is not jealous. And if prayer is about you getting what you want, you will never experience what Paul does. But if prayer is about God and His glory working in the midst of people and the gospel going out, your prayer life will transform. The first half of the chapter is about praise. The second half is about prayer. They go hand in hand. And if you're somebody who likes homework this morning, I'll, I'll give you a little homework. Uh, get yourself a little notebook. Uh, moleskins are all popular in the rage of these days. They're kind of little anybody notebooks. Get a little notebook and start writing people's names around you in that notebook. And then start praying for those people. And then you tell them you're praying for them. You don't walk up and say, oh, I'm praying for you because you're a heathen and you need to change. You walk up and you say, I'm praying for you and thanking God that he put you in my life. And you tell people that because that will begin to build a heart that beats in accordance with God. And you'll begin to build relationships with those around you because prayer connects us with God, but prayer connects us with other people. And it is just like Paul said, that God wants us to know him so we would open the eyes of our heart and give us wisdom so we would know the heart of our Father. That is what prayer is about. This morning, we invite you to worship God through prayer. There'll be some deacons and elders in the back, and if you need prayer for anything this morning, go and pray with them. They would love to pray with you. They'd also love to introduce you to Jesus, which would just be awesome. Uh, the band's going to come up, and as they do, well, Kara's going to go get the band. <laughs> And as the band comes up, they're going to do some songs. And, and as they do these songs, uh, what, what we invite you guys to do is sing along with these songs, pray where you're at, ask God to reveal himself to you, and that you would know him better, that, he would, that you would honor and love him for who he's called uh, you to be as a person. Good job. <laughs> I'm glad your wife ran back there. Did she drop your kid on the way or... You drop your kid on the way. Or just, no. No, okay, okay. Uh, we're also gonna we're gonna worship God through giving. There's offering box in the side wall and in the back, and we give something because God gave so much to us, and giving is part of our worship. We worship God through fellowship. There's still some food and some coffee in the back. Get some of that. Meet some other people. Uh, have the guts to tell some people some stuff you'd like them to pray for you in your life. You know, we we are all people who need prayer. And lastly, we're going to also worship God through communion. Uh, you take this cracker and you break it, which is like Christ's body, which was broken for us. You dip it in the wine or the grape juice, which reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and I, so we can be this people who can pray and have a relationship with our Father again, so that we can pray for other people, so that we can know God better. Redemption. Redemption. We've been reconciled to God and each other. This is what the gospel is. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I do ask that we would be those that you would open our hearts so that we would truly see you. That we would stop being so concerned with ourselves and, and what we want, but we'd be concerned with knowing you. That we'd be concerned with honoring you as our great God and Savior. 
God, I ask that you would bring people to our minds, even this morning, who we need to be praying for. Those people who just drive us insane. And we just wish you would do something not too nice to them. God, this morning we ask that you would do good things for them. They remind us every single day this week to pray for those people. For blessings. And good things to come from your hand to them. But God, we do ask in all of this that you would help us to know you better. Our great and good God. Because God, without you, we miss the point of everything. So this morning, take our hearts, melt us, break us, renew us, make us new. So we would have a clear picture of you. And we'd walk out of this place knowing you better than when we walked in. And we would honor and love and serve you better than when we walked in. So the whole world would know that you are God and we live to your glory. Amen.